Welcome to With Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Al Kammerer. And today we are talking about Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak! <laughs> it's it's a very, very, not very well-known Jane Austen novel. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> it's not, but I kind of wish it was. <laughs> no, it is the uh, 2015 film by Guillermo del Toro yes. starring Tom Hiddleston, mm-hmm. Mia Wasikowska, and Jessica Chastain. Yes. And... The reason why we are talking about this film is not only because I, tongue-in-cheek, used it in our uh, Northanger Abbey preview, uh, but also because it's it's gothic. Yeah. <laughs> and we wanted to talk more about the gothic tropes that we talked a little bit about with Northanger Abbey. Mm-hmm. Also, we were kind of talking about how we were going to try to somehow make this into a not adaptation adaptation of Northanger Abbey. So Katrina watched it and then we were kind of like, oh no, we're not going to do it. But then Katrina's like, oh no, you made me watch it. We're going to talk about it. (laughs) Yes. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, I do not watch like scary movies, ghost type movies usually. So this was a big deal for me. Right. But it's not really that scary. Like I also hate horror movies and I saw this in theaters. Yeah. There's like a couple of jump scares, yeah. but I did close my eyes yeah. two times. I closed my eyes two times in the film, um, but yeah, but I watched it with a couple friends, and we watched it on Halloween. This is what we did as our Halloween cel- celebration: my friend mm-hmm. and her boyfriend and myself. And yeah, I watched it like I finished it like twenty minutes ago. Yeah, it's been a, <laughs> it's been a lot of time that has passed since I have watched it. So I'm going off of my live reaction notes, which are not helpful, you guys. <laughs> Either way, it's a nice, fun, little, not really Jane Austen thing that we decided to do. Also, it is it is an opportunity for me to talk about the amazing Tom Hiddleston on our podcast. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Mostly it was really just a reason for me to watch this film because seriously, oh my gosh, Thomas Sharp is so goddamn charming and I hate it, but I love it. Wait, who's that? Okay, so let's talk about the film. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Crimson Peak, again, is a film from 2015, uh, Guillermo del Toro, so it's got that Pan's Labyrinth feel to it. Yeah. It's absolutely fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Oh my god. It is visually It needed to win an Oscar for how gorgeous it is. Like, between the costumes and the coloring and the choice of fucking everything, it's gorgeous. I love it. It is a story about a girl from America who gets courted by this baronet, which there's a whole running thing in the film about what the fuck is a baronet. And again, yeah, what the fuck is a baronet? No, 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 we're Americans. What, uh, yeah. The, the main character's name is Edith, and she describes a baronet as a landowner who exploits the labor of others for money, essentially, or to work the land or something. Whatever. Uh, so this baronet, Thomas Sharp, <laughs> comes to America to get some money, and he ends up meeting Edith, and some things happen, uh, including the uh, death of Edith's father that leads to Edith and Thomas getting married and going back over to England to uh, Thomas's house, Adder, Adder something hall. Sorry, brain fart. It's called Crimson Peak. Yes. (laughs) Because they mine this like 
absurdly red clay there. So when it snows and the ground gets all wet and there's the snow on top, it looks like blood everywhere. So it's called Crimson Peak. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, so the house is completely dilapidated to the point where it's like, why the fuck does anybody live here? But Thomas lives there with his sister. The walls are bleeding. If the, clay the floor is, is bleeding. If the clay is underground, how are the walls above where the clay is, like, dripping red? I am confused by that. I don't know what walls specifically we're talking about, but <laughs> I didn't see that. But there were, like, when you went down into the mine part, which yes. was underground, then the walls were bleeding yes, because that. you were underground. But when she walks in and she's in the hall and she's looking around, you can see, like, there are red stains coming down the walls in the hall, like, when you walk in and then their big, like, sitting room and stuff and by that one staircase and the elevator thing. I was not paying attention to the walls, probably because I was paying attention to something else. Oh, uh, gee, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So Edith is there with her husband, Thomas Sharp, and his sister. Fuck, what's her sister's? What's his sister's I name? I don't know. I haven't watched this in God Halloween. <laughs> I am the gothic novel tropes person. You are the Crimson Peak details person. Lucille. Thank you. Thank you for your help, Katrina. Thomas lives there with his sister, Lucille, and it's weird, and it's gothic, because the house is literally falling apart, and they're creepy, Um, but Edith is like, so creepy, Edith is like wandering around the house, and she starts to see some ghosts, and she starts to put together these pieces of this mystery, and it turns out that uh, the Sharp siblings have a history of killing people. intentions and also there's like a little bit of like a cruel intentions undertone Mm. thing there i'm not familiar with cruel intentions katrina you can't keep using it as an example for things other people are uh but yeah so turns out they they killed or lucille killed edith's father to get edith edith's money they're, the, the siblings are sleeping together and they kill people for money. Uh, and yeah. So uh, Thomas actually does love Edith, which is great and adorable. But remember what I said about why does he have to be so goddamn charming? Um, but in the end, Lucille kills Thomas. Thomas res- uh, helps Edith kill Lucille. And then Edith leaves Crimson Peak with her doctor boyfriend. Yes, who is the best person in the whole movie, and I don't understand why she wasn't with him to begin with, but we all make so, when we're in our 20s. <laughs> so goddamn charming. She didn't end up with the doctor because she fell for Thomas Sharp, who is way too goddamn charming. And it doesn't help that he's played by Tom Hiddleston, <laughs> who is also yes. way too fucking charming. <laughs> if that's your vibe, I guess. It is um, my vibe. <laughs> I know it's your vibe. There is actually one detail. It's just a little detail, but I do think it's really important. Um, and you had mentioned that when she gets there, she's like looking around the house and she's like seeing the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has seen a ghost prior to this when she was younger. Oh, yeah. Um, her mother's ghost comes to her because the movie opens with her mother who has died and then her mother comes back as a ghost a couple of times um, to warn her about Crimson Crimson Peak. Peak. 
which she doesn't know what that is at those at that time. And she actually doesn't know that the Sharp's home is called Crimson Peak until after she's already there. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, so that's the general gist of the film. In terms of the film, I just want to say, you know, I, I, I love this film. It's a great film. Um, Guillermo del Toro is a fucking brilliant. Uh, seriously. Mwah, chef's kiss. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Because not only did he create this great story and it's like visually, like the film itself is visually like gorgeous, but the actors that he picked for these parts are fucking perfect because not only like did they play the characters really well, but like he picked them out at the perfect time in career, in their careers. Like Tom Hiddleston, obviously Loki's huge at MCU at the time. This is 2015. Like, Thor Dark World just happened. Thor Ragnarok is coming in two years. Like, we had Avengers in 2012. We had Thor right after that, or right before that. You know, like, Loki's big in the MCU. Tom Hiddleston's doing other stuff. He's considered, like, one of the hottest actors of the time. Um, I believe shortly after that, he started doing stuff, or he was in plays that, like, tickets were completely yeah. sold out for. What one did we see? Was it Coriolanus? Yes. Yeah, we saw yeah. a filmed... Uh, yes. A filmed uh, production of him and Coriolanus, and it was great. Mm -hmm. Hail Coriolanus. Thanks. <laughs> it's been a joke Katrina and I have had since our Shakespeare class in college. We still don't, I still don't know why it was funny. I think we just flipped like in our giant Shakespeare book that had like all of the, all of the tragedies. We flipped it open and it was there and it literally said, Hail Coriolanus. Thanks. <laughs> and it just became a joke. Um, sometimes I say it to myself and laugh, uh, but that's not the point. Anyway, moving on. Jessica Chastain obviously had been doing a bunch of different things and was like, uh, you know, very well known at the time. And then, of course, we have Mia Wasikawa. I'm going to continue to say her name wrong and I apologize profusely. Mia Wasikowska. She did this film between the Alice in Wonderland films. And mm -hmm. in all honesty, I know her first name is Mia. I could not tell you her last name off the top of my head. So I would just say Mia from Alice in Wonderland or <laughs> the actress from Alice in Wonderland, because seriously, that is what she is known for. Like, if you look at this woman, you're like, oh, that's Alice from Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> so yeah, like just everything about this film, I absolutely fucking love. Except that it has ghosts and it's creepy. Uh <laughs> the ghosts didn't bother me. It was the incest. <laughs> yes. This there is one thing I would change about this film, and it is the incest. And like I no. get it in terms of story. Like that's just it's right. gonna like that's it's, it's adding the story. to like the grotesque horror yeah, of it. Yeah. Like the it's like adding to that, but I'm just like, I can't. Yes. I can't. Don't worry, it's just hand stuff. Um, anyway. That's what you see, but... No, I know. That's... There, that was our joke when we were watching oh, okay. it. It was like, oh, don't worry. It's just... Because, <laughs> yes, uh, Lucille does get pregnant by her brother. Yes. They have a child, yes. and the child is deformed and has to be killed. But anyway, yeah, that is the one thing I would change about this film, is that, yes, the Sharps are, quote-unquote, in love with each other. There's incest. Um, but... Like, this isn't the first story that has that where, like, two kids, they grew no. up, they only ever knew each other, they only ever, you know, had each other, they fall in love even though they're siblings. Like, 
that's the story behind it. Also doesn't help that Lucille is like mentally unstable. And Thomas, well, Lucille is his oldest older sister and she took care of him and she's mentally unstable and he's not quite all there and she's totally manipulated him his entire life. And you see that throughout this whole film because like, like Thomas is very much like, okay, I'm going with this. I'm going with this. We're doing this. We're doing this. Oh, I like Edith. Like, I really love her. Like, can we not do this? Can we not kill her for her money? And Lucille is like, no, bitch, we have to kill her. And he's just like, oh, I really don't want to. Are you sure? And she's like, yeah, no, we got to do this. And he's like, okay, fine. I don't want to, though. So, like, it's very clear, like, Lucille is in charge. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, I would change the incest. That's the only thing I would change because yeah. it's uncomfortable. Which it's supposed to be. It's supposed, it's supposed to, be. to be. It's supposed to be. Do I have anything else to say about the film in general? Yes. Uh, so Edith is a writer. And at one point, and I just have to point this out as a writer myself. Uh, Edith says to Thomas, who's reading her novel. And uh, Thomas is like, oh, I like this character. He's got a dark side to him. Does he make it through to the end? <coughs> Foreshadowing. Uh, and she says characters talk to you they transform they make choices and I'm just like bitch knows like (laughs) as a writer you can have this character and you're like he's gonna do x y and z and then as you're writing it he makes a choice and decides to go over here and does abc instead and you're like what the fuck dude like why'd you do that (laughs) I didn't tell you to do that they do it themselves Uh, anyway I just appreciated that and I felt like I needed to put it out there yeah thanks Guillermo for that anyway (laughs) Moving on, let's talk about some gothic stuff about this film instead of me just talking about the film because I will eventually just go into how much I love Tom Hiddleston and the fact that he does such a good job and he's so goddamn charming and he's gorgeous and there's that butt scene. Okay, you will get to talk more about him. I don't need to, but I want to. You (laughs) will. Well, but you will because now we are going to talk about the gothic novel tropes. So we're going to revisit the same ones Mm -hmm. that we talked about at the end of our Northanger Abbey wrap up episode. So it's the same ones. I tried to keep my note cards in the same order, but to be honest, I don't know if they are. And in all honesty, I forgot all of them while I was watching the film. So this will be fun. (laughs) So this will be a really great reminder. Yeah. Okay. So our first one, Mm -hmm. our first gothic novel trope is it is set in a haunted castle or house. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. It's like, well... What we saw before with gothic novels is that, like, is it really haunted? Is it not really haunted? Like, this place is fucking haunted. And, like, she... Edith isn't the only one that sees ghosts in the film. Um, But it's not till the end that we have another character who sees a ghost. But just from the way the Sharps talk to her while they're in the... Like, talking about the house and the different things in the house... You get the feeling that they know that this place is haunted. Mm-hmm. And the the film starts off with Edith saying ghosts are real. I yes. know this because I've seen them. Yep. And yeah, so there is no doubt about this one that not only is this house haunted, it is actually haunted. Yes. And then just some like subtopics off of that is that the haunted house is dark and maybe has an ancestral curse, which there kind of is like, it's not like a curse curse, but there's like something there 
with the siblings and like with how they were raised and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, feelings of awe and isolation, yep. which we totally get. The, um, the town Edith is, is very much alone. Well, and like, not even that. Is, the house itself is alone. The house is, or yeah. the the town is Way what the like a a half day's drive away or something like that. Like they have to go to the post office to get their things and to get deliveries and stuff like that. Yep. And there's only ever what like one other person there outside of the sharp mm-hmm. siblings and Edith, and that's like a manservant dude helper guy who's literally just around the the machines that we never see again. Yeah. Well, and even the town, like when they go to town itself, it almost, and I know they're in England, but it almost doesn't feel that way. No, it, it wasn't a town. very old west. It wasn't it's a town. Like, it's almost like an outpost. It is. Yeah. It is. It yeah. isn't a town. Because I think actually now that you say that, the post office itself was about a four hour walk or something like that from the house. But the town itself was a day and a half away. Yeah. So they're really so- far away from uh the town but there is that outpost that has like yeah. horses and you know by post There's if you're gonna send people by post yeah. Things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so but it just had like a very old west it did. vibe and i'm like this is interesting but it i like it did it did yeah and uh one of the things t- talking about isolation is uh in this film it's very much that lucille uh, wants to keep edith at the house like she yes. doesn't want her to leave once she's at the house it's like no she stays um so after edith has a bit of a fit um from seeing ghosts and stuff uh thomas suggests oh hey why don't we take her into town she might you know it might be good for her um and lucille is like no don't do it because it's a day and a half away like they'll have yep. to be there overnight kind of a thing and lucille doesn't want that um but then he's like oh i have to pick stuff up at the post how about i just take her with me it's like a you know, it's not that far and we'll be back we'll that be day. We'll be back tonight. Yeah, no yeah. big deal. So Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so they big go. fucking deal. And there's a snowstorm. Uh, so uh, Edith convinces Thomas to stay at the at the post, which is great for her. Um, yeah, also for fans of Tom Hiddleston's ass, but not, not like for Lucille. <laughs> she gets, yeah, it's. It's very great for Edith. They essentially get to consummate their marriage finally. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he is very generous, I will say. I mean... He is very generous. And also, it's just so cute because you know he actually likes her. <laughs> like, yeah. he likes Edith. It's very clear he actually likes this one. <laughs> Yes, by the way, he's had multiple true. wives who he's killed and yes. taken their money. And by he, I mostly mean Lucille has killed them. Lucille has been poisoning them. Um, but anyway, he actually likes Edith. So it's like, oh, at least they got to have a couple moments nice to themselves. Yay. But Lucille is pissed uh, yes, when they get back. She's like she's very, very unhappy. Very jealous. And then she's like, wait a second. You slept with him? And Edith is like, he's my husband. And Lucille is like, nope. And then she and she like, tries to poison her even harder. Like, you feel these, like, vibes between the brother and sister, and you're like, what is their deal? It's really weird. I don't understand. Like, you, all this stuff is running through. But, like, when they came back from the outpost and she was mad, I was like, they're lovers. Mm-hmm. They're lovers. And then, like, later on in the story, it's confirmed. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. All right, so yeah, so um, number one is obviously a check, yes. Mm-hmm. Trope two, 
There is an atmosphere of mystery and suspense. There are threatening feelings that dominate the vibe. The plot builds around the mystery, which could be like maybe an unknown parentage or some kind of disappearance or family secrets. Bum, bum, bum. And then there's different objects around that add to the atmosphere, like flickering candles, vaults, tombs, I don't know, bloody walls and giant vats of what looks like blood. It's in your clay. Weird basement. It's thing. it's a mine. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it, let's just the first time you meet Thomas Sharp, he walks into a room and he's like, Okay, guys, at my place back in England, I mined this red liquid clay shit and it's great and it makes amazing bricks like so you know what it is right off the bat now that doesn't make it any less creepy when she or when edith goes down into the mine slash basement and sees six vats of the shit and then at some point a ghostly skeletal body floats out of it again absolutely gorgeous good job guillermo but there is a creep vibe to it i'm not gonna lie but Mm -hmm. Like the idea of that mystery, there's kind of two different mysteries kind of going on at the same time. So when Edith's father first finds out that uh, Thomas is actually like falling in love with Edith and like wants to marry her, he's like, I got to investigate this dude because he seems shady. And also what the fuck is a baronet? Uh, So he looks into it and all we see as viewers is something in this file that the father got made it so then he's just like no you can't marry edith you need to leave here's some money i'm paying you to get the fuck out of here and then he dies and then edith's father dies so there was something in there we don't know about and we it is foul play how he dies oh yeah no uh, lucille murders him yeah you don't know that like at the beginning you find out at the end but yeah but i called it i called it at the beginning even though it's very clearly she's wearing pants yeah, because the gloves and the hand were dainty, and I said it was for her. And like the people were like, no, is somebody wearing pants? And I was like, no, it's definitely the sister. Well, she was definitely wearing pants, but the idea was yes. that you were supposed to think it was Thomas. Yes, yeah. Okay, so uh, Tom Hiddleston, Katrina doesn't think you have dainty hands. Um, was- <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Tom. Moving I'm on. I just didn't are. think about looking at the hands. What do you mean? It's gloved and dainty. Like, what the fuck? They were dainty. Okay. Okay. But also that, like, I saw the hand, and then I'm like, close my eyes. So that was the first place where I closed my eyes because I could not watch his face get beaten. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. So there's that mystery, like, what the fuck's going on? And then um, Edith's doctor friend also talks to the detective who found out all of this stuff. So then there's that mystery going on, Uh, like, what the fuck's going on? We just need to t- stop here and talk about the doctor friend and how amazing he is and how he is just basically Sherlock Holmes living his best life. Which, like, okay, so that's actually... obsessed. He is he is supposed to be like Sherlock Holmes. I know. Because, like, Edith finds a copy of Sherlock Holmes in his office. <laughs> yes. And, like, he's very clearly, like, into this and he's just, like, living this life. And I just love him so much and he's so sweet and he's super cute. He's, like, right up my... Alley in terms of looks like Charlie Hoonman Hoon Hoonam. Um, he's is he who I think he is? I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's from Sons of Anarchy. He is very very cute, and he is like trying to solve this mystery even after Edith goes. He hasn't given up, and he's like still gonna figure it out. And when he does, he saves her life. He travels 
across the ocean in a snowstorm, almost dies, and still saves her. He doesn't like, really great. save her. And I know her. Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston comes in and like helps him. Yes, he does. He's helping her get the but, f okay, out of no, there. No, no. Even after he stabs, he doesn't save her. Yes, she kind yes. of saves herself. Because she goes, she has to fight off Lucille. She has to kill before, Lucille. She no, has to carry his ass that. out the door. Han, <laughs> I'm talking about before that. Like, once he figures out what's going on, he right. goes over there yeah. to, like, uh-huh. help her and try yes, to Yes, he doesn't save her. Save her and then, like, she saves herself. <laughs> whatever. I'm just saying, like, that's no, what no, no, he's no, no, doing, no. though. Like, he's being, yeah, like, yeah, a good yeah. guy. I just and wanted so, to like, make sure that everybody was aware that uh, Edith, pretty much does it herself because what's his fucking name? Um, <laughs> uh, because Dr. Allen He gets stabbed, but like him and Tom Hiddleston, like him and Tom Hiddleston kind of like work it out because the sister's like, you better fucking kill him. And Tom's like, I don't know. And so they like kind of work it out. So like he, it looks mm-hmm. like he kills him, but he doesn't really. So like tricking the sister and then he's able to like survive and they're, they're both able yeah. to get out. Uh, Thomas Sharp is pretty much like, you're a doctor. Tell me where to stab. So I don't hurt you. Alan McMichael. Dr. Alan his, McMichael. Like, his, is his name. His like doctor slash Sherlock Holmes like skills come in and like, yeah. That that guy is like yeah right no well so he he's been friends with Edith and her and her father for a long time he's uh, Edith's father's doctor and he thinks that there's something up the moment Edith's Edith's father's dead he's just like this is weird like he yeah. goes to like examine the body and everything like that and yeah so it's like no surprise that he goes and he like is there to like try to save Edith but again again like he is there he helps Edith. The fact that, you know, like, he he fixes her leg because she broke her leg, but Edith fucking saves herself. She kills everybody. Also, like, of course he would know something is up because the father's face is smashed in. Like, <laughs> he was very clear. Well, no, murdered. he was looking for something as, in terms of, like, a clue as to who did it. Like, because remember, he was like, yeah, wait, what's yeah, going yeah, on yeah, yeah. here? And he goes to, like, turn the head and Edith freaks out because she's in the room and her father's corpse is on the yeah. on the table and she doesn't want to believe that it's, you know, he's dead. But yeah, there was something else I was going to say and I totally forgot. What- oh, he's also very clearly into ghosts. <laughs> like, he's yeah. sharing all of these interests with Edith. And yeah, it's very clear. Oh, Edith should be with him. But now we got this charming... Uh, charming as fuck fucker from London coming or from England coming over here who's like again charming as fuck and Edith goes there and he's also like into like the ghost thing and he mm-hmm. likes her oh writing, yeah he fucking so, loves her know. writing yeah. and actually uh, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the writing uh, but I feel like this is something to talk about later when we talk about some of these other tropes so I'll get back to that but yeah so that's one mystery yeah. is the whole like oh what's going on with Edith's father who killed him blah 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 then the other mystery is just the house itself um, and like mm-hmm. what happened with the mother and then Edith uh, finding out that Thomas has had these other wives and, you know, all of these other things. Like, what happened to them? Why is there a random wheelchair? Why am I seeing a ghost baby? Like, what is going on? So there's two mysteries happening at the same time here. And yes, that whole mystery, the mysterious vibe, it, it's not just like Edith walking around the house and coming across things. It's also Lucille. Like, she full on, well, actually, both Lucille and Thomas are both just like, they have these vibes about them when they're describing the house and like describing their, their history there. It's just, 
like if you don't want somebody to find out about all of the shady shit that you've been doing, you probably shouldn't talk like that. Like you're just yeah. asking for somebody to dig into this shit. Like when they're when Lucille and Edith yeah. are looking at the portrait of the mother, it is very clear that Lucille did something to her mother. Like, oh my god. Like yeah. the way she talks about it, I'm just like, you are not being subtle. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but there's that mystery as well. So we get, the whole thing is mysterious. All right, so our next two tropes, um, these ones I had meshed together. Um, so we have an ancient mm-hmm. prophecy. Um, so like things that are obscure mm-hmm. or confusing to mm-hmm. the heroine. And then you also get like ghosts live here vibes from the ancient prophecy. And then there's a ghost slash monster. Sometimes it's literal or sometimes it's in the person's imagination. So we have a literal ghost of Edith's mother telling her flat out as, you know, when she was 10, beware of Crimson Peak. But she has no idea yes. what the hell that means. And then later on, she sees her yeah. mother again, too, after she meets... Thomas Sharp that says beware of Crimson Peak Uh, but again it'd be great if there were some context or if maybe instead of calling it Crimson Peak which is like its nickname you called it by the actual name of the place because like that's the thing like the Sharps don't hide where they live they say we live at this hall and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But what they don't say is, oh, everybody else calls it Crimson Peak because of X, Y, and Z. So, yeah, they're not they're not hiding that that's where they live. It's just Crimson Peak is the nickname, Mom. You could have called it what it's actually called when you were warning me about it. Well, hold on. I'm just looking up the It starts name with an A. Of what they call it. Allerdale, Allerdale Hall. Yeah, so instead of the mom's ghost coming up and saying, beware of Allerdale Hall, she says, beware of Crimson Peak. And it's like, Crimson Peak is just what it's called occasionally. Its true name is Allerdale Hall. Maybe you should have said that, mom, because there's a sign above the fucking gate that says Allerdale Hall. But again, remember, when we're talking about prophecies, they're obscure and confusing. Like, you can't, like, be like, Oh, here, this prophecy. Let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. No, no, no. It has to be like just enough information, but not all of it, so that there's still the idea of mm-hmm. fate and like you're not deciding your path. Like there has to be that element of as a human, as a mortal, you don't mm-hmm. have control. So you can only know mm-hmm. so much. And I get it. Welcome to, like, me reading the fifth Harry Potter book, like, way back in the day with, like, the big prophecy. And it's like, what does this I mean? I mean, the mom could have said, beware of Allerdale Hall, and then Edith wouldn't have realized that's where she was going until she pulled up. And then can you imagine the terror when she pulls through the gate that says Allerdale Hall above it? But anyway, moving on. <laughs> All right. Um, so the next one is... um omens and visions slash dreams and nightmares so dreams are used as a plot device to showcase fear and then premonitions suggest horrors that are to come so i feel like with the mother coming and giving like this Mm -hmm. beware kind of thing you know that's kind of like the omen well that's like yeah that that Um, would be of of showing things to come but that i feel like another thing is like an omen is also her seeing these other ghosts Especially when she sees them, but she doesn't quite see them. Like when she first arrives at the hall, 
Uh, she very clearly sees a woman walking around, but she can't quite catch up with her um, to actually see who it yep. is. And it's very clearly a ghost because all the ghosts, with the exception of the mother, are red. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the one that she like full on sees, I think the first one is like when she's taking the bath. She's in the bathroom and it like walks out all like insidious like where it's like not floating like some of the spectral ghosts are floating but this one is like it is insidious and it is like gangly like <laughs> legs like Guillermo del Toro does with I don't know anything it's, creepy yeah so in she's in the movies. tub and she's playing fetch with the dog which by the way I'm just gonna put this in here I feel like there's not a better place to put it but I mentioned the dog um there is dog death in this oh film. yeah it's very brief and you don't really see it it just kind of happens behind some skirts but the dog does eventually die. Just warning. Anyway, um, so she's in the tub and she's playing fetch with the dog and something is weird. So she gets up out of the tub. The dog comes back and then the ball comes afterwards. It's like rolling to her and she's like, this is fucking weird. So she gets up and goes into the hallway and she turns around and there's a ghost on the ground, not able to move, like crawling toward her. And it's creepy as fuck. But yeah it is but also so awesome looking <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah so yeah there's that mm -hmm. one the crawling one but then there's the one that does walk like all weird and it like grabs around like and peeks in when she's like oh i don't tub. remember that one that was the second time <laughs> I well there is the one where she's like she hears something in the closet and she opens the door and she she yeah. doesn't look in yet she's looking that's the wheelchair she's ghost. looking and then yeah. the the ghost like pulls the door shut and you see like full-on face yeah yeah, yeah, there's that one, and then the one that crawls is the one that is why the wheelchair's there. There's the wheelchair ghost. And then there's the ghost that is holding mm -hmm. the ghost baby. And that's the ghost that mm -hmm. gives her the big warning. So there's, like, three main mm -hmm. ghosts that she sees. The, the ghost that's mother. holding the baby is the one that's like, they're fucking over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go catch them! It's they're Duncan. doing hand stuff. <laughs> referring like toward the end of the movie not so much at the beginning but like toward the end of the movie Mia becomes a little bit more unraveled you know as the heroine does toward the climax of like anything that's gothic and her hair is like loose and it's like very wavy and she's like giving off these like Kirsten Dunst in interview with a vampire vibes and so we just kept calling her Kirsten Dunst from that which is saying something because Bless. Kirsten Dunst in that film is like what 12 <laughs> Yeah, she's very young. But it's just like, you know, the hair and then just like the round face. Um, but anyway, so yeah. So anyway, okay, uh, moving along. Um, our next our next trope is supernatural events, <coughs> ghosts slash death. So things like maybe paintings are coming to life. Um, there could be the death of a woman. Well, in this, we have death of mm -hmm. multiple women, right? Because women's bodies convey like beauty and tragedy because how tragic is it that something so beautiful is now mm -hmm. gone mm -hmm. from the world um and then this just helps convey the sense of mortality well so what's really interesting is obviously yes like there are multiple dead women in this house there's the mother there's the three previous wives so yeah we see that but in terms of like the killing of women this film yeah. actually has a lot more like male death 
because the Edith's father yes. gets killed. Then, spoiler mm. alert, like big spoiler alert. I'm just gonna say that so casually. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, this, we're gonna have a spoiler disclaimer at the beginning because, yeah, this, like, if you haven't watched it, watch it. Guys, yeah. it's twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, Lucille just full on kills Thomas in a rage because yeah, he yeah because he he essentially suggests that they be a brother. <laughs> I'm like, dude. He Dude, no, she's yeah. upset because she realizes at this moment that he does legitimately love Edith and she's pissed because it's like, you're supposed to love me. You said you would never love one of the other women. And he's like, well, shit happens. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and she's just like. And he's like, why don't we all three of us just go somewhere? Like, <laughs> no. Are you dumb? He's, you. He's. he's that is such he's, dude energy. I'm sorry. He's very, very much like, like there is like. There is something mentally not right with Thomas Sharp, and it's not as blatant or as obvious as it is with Lucille, but he is very much just, like, kind of stuck in, like, an adolescent kind of mentality a little bit. Yeah, so that's why it's like, no, we can just all go together, it'll be fine. He's still very hopeful. He's, like, very hopeful, and he's, like, trying to, like, bridge a connection, but, and he doesn't realize, like, how how unhinged but also i wonder how much of it wasn't just him like trying to talk her down as well like part of me wants him to have known this would never happen i just need to talk my sister down and then we can deal with her later kind of a situation um but i don't know how true that was because she stabs him to death (laughs) she stabs him in the chest a couple of times and then she shoves a blade right into his cheek and he dies and you know how you said that, you know, the, the, the women's bodies, you know, the death shows of death of how could something so beautiful be? Yeah, yeah. Tragic. That's how yeah. I felt when Thomas Sharp passed away. Because how could something so beautiful yeah, he's, just die? He's still yeah. relatively young. Anyway, that's not the point. Anyway, but yeah, so she he gets killed. <laughs> um, yeah, there's only one female death that we see, and that is Lucille. And she, mm-hmm. while obviously a woman, I feel like because she's gone so far into madness and into this killing and everything like that, she's kind of become a monster in a sense. So I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily feel like she, you don't feel well, no, I don't bad. feel like she represents mm-hmm. what that trope is represents or what says represents. So yeah. her death doesn't necessarily make you feel like, oh, so tragic, so tragic. Also, she just gets kind of get like like bashed in the head with a shovel falls to the ground and then we don't see her again uh so we don't really see her dead body but yeah um we also have like in terms of supernatural events obviously like there's all the creepiness Mm -hmm. with the house we've talked about like the walls look like they're bleeding but it's from this red clay you know we talk about like in their cellar how there's like Mm -hmm. vats of it all over the place and like it's very very creepy down there um in the cellar is where they hide there's a trunk down there that belonged to one of the previous wives that has like kind of concrete Mm -hmm. evidence that shows that the brother and sister have been like just basically marrying these women with money to like get their money and kill them which um i'm not and if i'm reading it's just kind of in the middle of the room too which seems really fucking weird (laughs) like like, what the fuck they're like, who's going to go down here? But also, why would um, you keep it all? Edith. Edith will go down there. I know. It's, it's because Lucille is fucking insane and she needs her trophies. Which actually, that makes sense yeah. because she does have the trophy um, of that. She has the axe that she used to kill her mother in in that same yeah. room. So maybe, yeah, it's just another place yeah. to keep her trophies. Um, 
But like, if I'm remembering right, and you've seen it more recently, um, doesn't Edith come across the trunk and stuff, and it's like mm-hmm. locked, or like she can't get into it, and but then it like mysteriously no, pops she, open. Isn't there like so? Oh, okay, then I'm mem- remembering it. Um, so she sees the trunk, and it has ES written on it. And she's like, oh, this is weird. And it's locked. And then when her and Thomas go to town, she's given a letter from Milan. And she's like, I don't know anybody in Milan. And the guy's like, well, obviously you do. This is listed out to you, Mrs. Sharp. So she reads it. And the first, uh, right at the top, it says, like, hello, Enola. And she's like, Enola, that's weird. And then she happens to see Lucille set down the keys to the house, which Edith doesn't have, which is a, another kind of big red flag. Is like, she's the woman of the house. She should probably have the keys. But um, Edith sees Lucille put down the keys and she sees a key that says Enola on it and she steals it and then th- she's able to open the... Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't say outside of the ghosts that many, like, supernatural things happen. And the wall... Well, the walls, like, kind of... I don't know. That just feels, like, very... Maybe it's, like, the ghosts doing it. Maybe, like, it's not seen unless, like, maybe there's a ghost around. Because I know I I saw it in other places, like, that were not where the vats were. And maybe it's just, like, adding to, like, oh, there's a ghost about to come. Because, like I said, it happens in the beginning when she's, like, chasing that one ghost that's just out of sight. And then, like, a couple other times it happens. See, and I didn't catch that as much. I don't know. I would have to yeah. rewatch it. I mean, I do know that there are very clear signs of death everywhere and not just in the ghosts, but like yeah. the flies and the moths and stuff like that yes. everywhere. Yes, so, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But yeah. I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't say there's nearly as much like supernatural stuff going on. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, all right. Our next trope is um, emotions run high. So this suggests impending doom, like raw nerves are a big thing. That's obviously big mm-hmm, with lucille mm-hmm. like she is very very much like mm-hmm, at all the time and then at one um, point she time. reaches past a 10 and she throws breakfast across the room yeah it's yeah. like intense um there are emotional outbursts that are inconsolable breakfast. so like throwing breakfast across the room yeah big time and then um there's also the sense of melodrama so murder mm-hmm. kidnapping people being driven insane and like i almost feel like so we know edith is seeing ghosts and she like kind of reports this and like the sister's like oh well we'll calm you down i'll make you tea and she's like poisoning mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. tea obviously because she's trying to kill her and um you're almost like thinking that is she being driven insane from the poison or is she being driven insane from the ghost or is it like a combination of those two things because like she's Edith does keep it together really well despite all of these things that are happening but there is also the sense of like insanity and I'm thinking about like the scene where she falls from the balcony and that's how her leg is broken like that's at a very heightened that's when she's in a very heightened emotional state because hasn't she just walked so, in on them? She is a very heightened emotional state at that point because she had just found all of the stuff from the ex-wives in Enola's chest. So she yeah. had just learned about the baby and the poison and all of that. And um, right. So she is already at a heightened state. And then uh, 
Is she going to confront them at that well, point? Well, so she, she, she walks, walks in on them? no, she walks into the main room and she sees oh, the so. ghost of Enola with the baby. And Enola's like, yeah. hand stuff. And she, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to. <laughs> I love that. And then she goes up to that room and, in, and encounters it. And it's just like, it's too much because she had just learned about the ex-wife. She had just learned about the money. She had just yeah. learned about the poisoning. And then she sees that. And she's just freaking the fuck out. And that's when Lucille pushes her off because Lucille is like, yes, that's it. Oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter now. Now you know the truth. I'm just going to kill you and just pushes her off. So yeah. um, the only other time where Edith really kind of loses it, I think, is when she does find out that this place is called Crimson Peak. And that is yeah. like right before she finds out the truth about everything. Um, where she's just yeah. like, I, I can't be here. I can't be here. And she's like coughing up blood because of the poison and stuff. And she's just not, she's kind of out of it. But yeah, I feel like Edith really does keep it together. Like she doesn't even really get that freaked out from the ghosts. Yeah. Like she sees the one and she's just like, oh my gosh, Thomas, help, help, help. But other than that, she's just like, yeah, she only reaches the 11 when she walks in on the hand stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it almost feels like with the exception of the first, like all the ghosts, are there mm-hmm. to warn her. They're not mm-hmm. like malicious spirits toward Edith mm-hmm. at all. They are trying to help her. But because they look so grotesque, like me as a viewer, I'm like, these are bad ghosts. No. But they're not. And she is terrified when she first sees her mother's ghost. And then she gets scared yeah. when she sees the other ones, especially the one that was like crawling on the floor because it looked like it was coming at her. Yeah. But outside of that, she doesn't really get scared from the ghosts too much. But one of the things that we need to mention about Edith that I feel like I should have mentioned when I was talking about it overall. Edith is a writer and she writes ghost mm-hmm. stories and she writes about these ghosts who are there as what did she say? The ghosts are a metaphor, which I mean, yeah, but so she's, she's used to this and she's, she very much writes her own ghost stories. So when things start to happen to her in real life, I feel like she's a little less freaked out than a like she's definitely less freaked out than Catherine would have been because because she yeah. she's already written this stuff. She she understands the tropes themselves. Like Edith very much understands what a gothic novel is. And at one point she actually is uh when when some of the other women back at home were making fun of her, they called her, "Oh, our next Jane Austen." And she's like, "Uh, no, I'd rather be Mary Shelley." So Edith understands. Yeah. She's read Frankenstein. She's read all like yeah. these other like gothic stories. So she totally understands. Um, so I think that that's one of the reasons why she doesn't completely lose her shit until yeah. the guy that she thought she loved or the guy that she fell in love with is very clearly fucking a sister. <laughs> that's that's what pushes yeah. her over. The supernatural isn't what pushes her over the edge. It's something that happens in real life that has actually affected yeah. her that pushes her over the edge. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, so we have two more tropes. We're getting to the end. Um, the next one is gloom and horror with no breaks. So you have bad mm-hmm. weather throughout it indicates sorrow and no sense of mm-hmm. control so like it's snowing like bombs. yeah there's snow everywhere when she arrives and that also kind of traps mm-hmm. her there in a way the only reprieve that she really gets is when she goes to the post with thomas otherwise yeah. she's at the house yep. 
She's near Lucille. She's being poisoned. She's seeing the ghosts. And it's just constant, constant, constant. And actually, um, back to the point I was saying before about her not freaking out. The one time she does kind of freak out a little bit from the ghosts when the one is crawling toward her. Um, that's right before she does go to the post because that's the reason why Thomas is yeah. like, I feel like she needs to get out because it's getting a little crazy. Yeah, she, she needs, needs a, break. a break. So that's yeah. a, probably another reason why she doesn't go overboard is because she's given that break. But outside of that, like, she's always at this house. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. And then our last trope is damsel. Oh, no. Yep. So we have a lead female character who faces terrifying fainting events. She does faint um, a lot. She's likely trapped. She does. Um, mm-hmm. Likely trapped, pursued by a terrifying aristocrat. <laughs> I did this in the Northanger Abbey episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> aristocrat. Correct. There's an R. <laughs> terrifying. I know. I didn't spell it right, but I just say aristocrat. Terrifying aristocrat. Uh-huh. Um, but I would say, like, the terrifying aristocrat oh, yeah. is the sister. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, she's mm-hmm. lonely. Like, historically, she's been lonely all her life. Like, you know, absence of a mother well, probably, like, adds to it. Even though she has her father and, like, she has a very good life in America leading up to it. Like, there might be, like, absence well, of mother. So, of one of the things with Edith is that she has said, she says multiple times to Thomas, you're all I have left. And then he isn't always yeah. there. So, like, Usually when she has these encounters and these creepy encounters, she wakes up and Thomas is not in bed with her. And she's like, wait, what's going on? And that kind of prompts her to get up and walk around. So, yeah. Because the one night that she wakes up and he is there. Oh, no, that wasn't in the middle of the night. That was the next morning. But she does wake up and he is next to her. And she just wakes up and she goes downstairs and she has a interaction with Lucille. After that, she wakes up in the middle of the night and he's not there. And she wanders around. So those are all of our tropes. Um, I was just doing kind of like a count, like comparison with that, with Crimson Peak and Mm -hmm. Northanger Abbey, just to see like what ones hit. Um, So obviously in Crimson Peak, Mm -hmm. all of the tropes we just talked about were very much prevalent. It is very much a gothic Mm -hmm. film. Um, In terms of Northanger Abbey, we gave three full checks and two Mm. half checks. So four. Well, so one of the things that we know about Northanger Abbey is that it is a play on a gothic novel and a play on a sentimental novel. So it makes sense that not everything would check, which kind of leads into one of the things I want to talk a little bit about. So we know that early gothic novels were very heavy on the sentimental. So they had those emotions and the, you know, the pining and the love and the, you know, everything like that. So near the beginning of this film, Thomas is told by Edith's father, you need to break her heart. Uh, so what he does is essentially talk shit about her novel. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. uh, he's pretty much like, it's too sentimental. You know, you have these overt feelings. You're ma- like your hero and your heroine. They're like pining after each other and everything. And you don't know anything about this. You've never been in love, blah, blah, blah. It's too sentimental. And I thought that that was really interesting mm-hmm. because it right, it, it, it's very clear that while this... This film actually takes place much later. I don't remember if it set a specific date, but it was definitely late 1800s, if not early 19, uh, 1900s. It, it's very clear that the idea of a gothic novel has changed. Because if we were talking yes. about the gothic novels Austin was mimicking, 
Thomas would not have said that because the sentimental would have needed to be in there. Whereas later on, Mm -hmm. it didn't need to be in there. So having something that's too sentimental would actually have been a really harsh critique. Uh, But yeah, I thought that that was really interesting that he actually is just like, oh, hey, it's too sentimental. And Austin was pretty much saying the same thing about gothic novels when she wrote Northanger Abbey. She's like, it's too sentimental because it's ridiculous. And here, let me show you with my novel. (laughs) So, yeah, I thought that that was really good. But just to kind of bring this real quick back to Northanger Abbey, because that's the reason why. And the reason why I picked this gothic film Uh, was mostly just because I knew Northanger Abbey was supposed to be a gothic novel uh, and I knew nothing about Northanger Abbey. But I just want to, now that we're at the end, talk about some things that I find similar. I find Edith and Catherine to be fairly similar. They're both young. They're both naive. They're both really into ghost stories. Yep. Yep. Uh, Thomas is charming as fuck. Henry Tilney is charming as fuck. Uh, They both have a sister. While the sisters are not similar at all whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eleanor and Lucille are not the same. <laughs> but the creepy vibes that you get from Lucille, I totally got from General Tilney in the original or in Northanger yeah. Abbey. Now, while sure. I didn't imagine that General Tilney would be like a full on murderer, I did get some real creep vibes from him when he would talk to Catherine. Yeah. And you get real creep vibes when Lucille talks to Edith. It's creepy as fuck. Yeah. Uh, but the most interesting part that I think is uh, uh, that makes these two kind of similar is that the film and the both book both start off in a different place than where they end. They don't start at yeah. the creepy house or castle or whatever. They start in a town and there's all of these things going on. There's dancing, there's courting, there's walks in the park. There's all of these things. You meet all of these characters. You get an idea of like a life for this, this heroine. And then she's moved to the creepy house and both of those things happen. So it's, I feel like you could almost make an argument that Crimson Peak is very much like Northanger Abbey and that you have an innocent young girl who likes ghost stories hanging out and then it changes immediately into something different as soon as she goes to the house. Because in Northanger Abbey, there's nothing creepy about the house. In Crimson Peak, everything is fucked up. but yeah. Okay, so then can we say the moral of both stories is never go to a secondary yeah. location with a charming yes. stranger? Yes. <laughs> However, I will say this. If you see me being abducted by Tom Hiddleston or any of the characters that he's ever played, you just, you saw nothing. <laughs> I would even go to Crimson Peak. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> you saw nothing. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I have to say about Crimson Peak. Yeah, we did it. Yay! More importantly, (sighs) Katrina watched a horror film for you guys. (laughs) I did. I watched a horror film for you guys. And, um, I will be sharing my very spoiler heavy live reaction, um, as soon as this episode goes out this week. So... Look on our Instagram for that. It will be a long story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a lot of thoughts while I was watching. Yeah, I did not live react to mine. Um, but if I had, you would have had very similar reactions like we did when we watched Emma, where I just would have been like, but. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a but. <laughs> anyway, on that note. <laughs> 
Uh, this has been our episode on Crimson Peak, which has nothing to do with Jane Austen. <laughs> but we have now officially wrapped we have. Northanger Abbey. This is it. There is no, no more. more going no more. forward. So uh, keep an eye out for our uh, posts on social about what we're doing next. Yes, we will be taking a little bit of a hiatus while we transition mm-hmm. to our new book and prepare that so there will be some weeks that we will have off but again check our socials we'll keep you updated on when we are because not gonna lie we still don't really know exactly what we're doing or how long we're gonna be off <laughs> just being transparent <laughs> it won't be but it won't be too too, no, it won't. too long it won't. guys don't worry. so just keep an eye on our socials and we'll let you know when season four starts yay right. bye Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Al Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media/podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at withbeyondmeasure.com. Or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBM Podcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBM Podcast.